Welcome to 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence, the podcast where we interview real people with real stories of taking charge of their time and reaching financial independence faster. And now, your host, Elisa Zen. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence. Today, I have Sherry and Frank Candelaria, Candelario, um, and Sherry and Frank uh, are both used to be Seattle residents, um, and they are founders and the owners, uh, founders of um, uh, Kate's Housing Foundation and also uh, the Share Housing Academy. So Kay has a PhD, is a pharm- pharmacologist from University of Washington Medical School and is founding patent counsel for numerous biotech company. And Frank had a long career in international marketing and branding. And Frank and Sherry combined their knowledge of medicine, marketing, and branding to provide superior housing for people in need of a share housing model. And what a share housing academy is, um, a group of living space in a residential setting, uh, essentially to provide uh, homes, resources for people in recovery, foster children, age out of the system, veteran, golden people, uh, students, and those facing justice issues. Um, and that they kind of convert into residential uh, housings into helping people do, uh, basically on the road of recovery. And meanwhile, making returns for our investors. Um, and what a great model and feel good business that is, Sherry and Frank. Thank you so much for being on our show today. Oh, we're, we're thrilled to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So uh, Frank and Sherry, we always ask this question, which is um, when when you think back in your early childhood or there is an incident maybe in your life to kind of change the trajectory of your life from a maybe a corporation uh, workers into an entrepreneur, um, is a social entrepreneur, is a, what, what it's called, um, who you are today. You know, it's, that's, that's such a great question because I was with that kid with a chemistry set in the basement when, you know, young girls didn't do that. And I was passionate about the idea of becoming a medical scientist and ended up actually getting my doctorate in pharmacology from the University of Washington in my early 40s when my two older biological kids were like getting ready to go to college and along the way, two things happened. I met Frank in an elevator. And my older kids convinced me that we should host a Russian orphan in our home for a month. You know, this was back in the early 2000 when plane loads of kids were coming over. And they said we needed to do this. And the child that we ended up hosting, we ended up adopting. And her name was Maria. Maria Katerine, or Kate for short. You want to talk about your? Sure, sure. I grew up. Um, I grew up as a military brat. My dad was enlisted, and you know, modest living. It's no silver spoon in this mouth, you know. But we had a great growing up, and uh, ever since I was young, I've had a burning desire to make a difference and, and help people. And uh, that opportunity came one day when I was living downtown on the 31st floor of a high rise. And I got in the, in the elevator. I decided to go down to get me something to eat. And four floors below me, the door opened and a pretty lady walked into the elevator and the door closed and she started talking to me. And I, I hadn't shaved yet. My hair's a mess and I'm hideous. Uh, but we chit-chatted and then we chatted in the lobby and chatted out, outside. 
I'll fast forward now. And three months later, her son convinced her to get on a dating site. And I had already been on dating sites. And I got matched on a dating site by somebody called Warm Sandy Beach. And I thought, well, that's outstanding because I came from San Diego, right? And I'm back and forth. Hello, Warm Sandy Beach. My name is Frank. Hi, my name is Sherry. I said, I live in Seattle. She said, I live in Seattle too. I said, I live on the 31st floor of a high rise. And she says, I live on the 26th floor of a high rise. And I said, I live at Ninth in Virginia. And she says, oh my gosh, is that first time I met in the elevator? <laughs> really, if this comes down to why we do what we do today. Um, I've always gotten up at 4.30 in the morning in that part of town and served the people sleeping on the streets. I have a burning desire to help and I would feed people on the streets. Well, anyway, and then on our first date, I was able to go into her nice apartment and on the refrigerator in her kitchen was a picture of her in Africa serving precious children. Wow. And I said, man, that sounds like a good match. I got to marry that woman. Five and a half weeks later, we eloped to Kauai. And now today we have a large foundation where we are serving people on steroids. Yeah, and here was the turning point. I was actually the founding patent counsel of many major biotech companies in Seattle. And what I found along the way, and I'm good at my job, is that I was counting on having stock options turn into stock to fund my retirement. Mm-hmm. But for biotechs are really iffy business and over and over and over those biotech companies ended up going into an acquisition and nobody was paid out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so here I am, you know, making a pretty good salary, but really nothing to show for it. Newly mm-hmm. married to Frank. And, you know, as, as luck would have it, you know, I lost my job again because that's the way biotechs did do, and he lost his job. And so we're middle-aged people, newly married, no W-2 employment. And we looked at each other because we were both really at the top of our field and we knew we could work doing something else. But what was gnawing at us is we'd have this big life event. That little orphan girl named Kate is now a teenager. And she had become drug addicted and started living under the bridges of Seattle, no matter how many times I took her to treatment. I would put her in our sober recovery home and she would run away. Or other times the sober homes would put her out on the curb in 15 minutes because that's what they did back in 2015, mm-hmm. 2014. And so here we are both unemployed. You would think with all my education, I used to joke, I spent half my adult life in school adjustability, but we didn't want to start over again because we didn't trust corporate America. But what we did trust was ourselves. And we looked at this issue of Kate and all these children who are 18 to 21 under the bridge in these recovery houses that weren't run by professionals like us. They were run by other addicts. They were run by people from department of who had been incarcerated. And we said, we can do better. We need to do something better for Kate and the Kates of the world. Now, Kate did spend eight years bouncing in and out of hospitals and recovery homes, but it wasn't until, I'll never forget the day, in 2015, I found a home in San Diego. It was the first home that she'd ever been put in where she stayed longer than five days. And she went from being one of these meth and heroin addicts under the bridge to being a healthy 23-year-old. Wow. Yeah, and that that was insane. It was amazing. It was wonderful. And I went from being this person who was afraid to have my phone ring at night, who went to Harborview, you know, who went to all the hospitals to find her, you know, when she got picked up. And I never, ever gave up on her, you know, but 
the housing gave up on her, the treatment gave up on her. And Frank and I together, we said, okay, we're both literally unemployed, got a little bit of money, not a lot. Let's make a shared recovery house where we're gonna do opposite of what people have done for 50 years. And for 50 years, the model has been other people in recovery run the house. We're going to set the rules. And our first rule is going to be no human beings are ever going to be put on the curb for any reason, even if they fail. They don't do the dishes. If they relapse, we're never going to do that. And when we did that, people looked at us like we were crazy. They said, no, 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 that's not how you do it. And then our next thing is I have that PhD from a good medical school. Right. I happened to do my research in the area of opioids, the principal ingredient of Paralyn, Percocet, morphine. And, you know, most drug addiction isn't heroin. Mm -hmm. It's those pills in the bathroom cabinet. Right. And we said, we're going to let people take medication that stops those cravings. That wasn't done either in 2015. Mm -hmm. Got it. So yeah. we, we got contacted by Department of Corrections and they said, would you start taking our mothers who have gone to prison for felonies related to drug abuse? And we said, yes, we will, but we want to put them two people to a veteran, eight people in a house, and we want to take away all their fears that they're disposable. I think that's so important because I think a lot of time uh, people who are hurt in these situations are because the history, like their histories or the lack of support systems. Um, and so they don't know how, or there's maybe even, you know, for me, something really passionate is domestic violence and oftentimes mm -hmm. you don't see people leaving that aggressor because they are dependent on what they have to provide um and, and describe it to me a little bit more about the housing situation before you guys come on board like what was that look like because i don't think a lot of our viewers have some ideas of what that really kind of looked like before why this solution did not work well, that's a great question. And, and again, remember, we didn't come from this world, you know, but we learned a lot from the young girl Kate, you know, the kind of housing that was offered to them and uh, the parts of the town. So anyway, back then when we started, I like to say the recovery housing industry was like the wild, wild west. Anyone could run one. And many of them were run by people who used the income uh, from the rents as their income. And sometimes their motivation wasn't to fix that water heater right away or to fix those broken items, see? And so we would find Kate in certain houses that we thought we could do better. So Sherry and I came up with a brilliant idea. Let's buy beautiful homes because we want to be an investor. We want to own beautiful homes, right? Mm -hmm. And put them in appreciating neighborhoods. So when you drive by a Kate's house, first thing you don't notice that it's a shared house. It's got the American flag going. The lawn is the nicest one in the neighborhood. Uh, it's a beautiful home with off-street parking. We don't have cars parked on the street. The furniture is absolutely beautiful and stunning because what we're trying to do is raise the self-esteem of the pe broken people that we take in. Yeah. And ironically, it seemed to work because our success rate was recognized fairly quickly by the Department of Corrections when they said they're used to 70% recidivism rate back to prison on early releases. But with Kate's houses, after six, seven, eight months... Yeah, virtually zero. Virtually zero. It's, wow. It was amazing. And, and we did work with women in, in, because we were getting state vouchers. And for three months to six months, we would get $500 a person from the Department of Corrections. So when we put eight people in a home back in the year 2015, that was $4,000 to $4,500 a month. 
with a typical mortgage payment of $1,600. Wow. And even though we were paying utilities, we're getting more than double gross income. And when you think of average net rent in Seattle, if you do get a net rent, right. it's typically $200 a month after you pay your expenses. So we immediately recognize the financial potential to buy real estate. And we've always been in a very superheated market, hot market. And we've been doing this now for six years and we always win our bids. And so we started working on a referral system where we weren't just taking anybody in the house. It was always women, who had completed therapy in prison, who were working, who were moms wanting their kids back, and they would refer their friends. So within six months after the first house, we had 18 women all working. We had to buy more houses. So we had three houses. Yeah. And those houses today have doubled in value, but they've been full every day since 2015. Now we have mm -hmm. uh, six homes in the same area. So virtually millions of dollars of real estate. Nice. And the wonderful part of it is along the way, we said, you know what, we've got to change this for all of Washington state. As you can imagine, we're, we're not always everybody's favorite people. We said, we got to change the laws. We've got to make this better. And so we had heard of a national accreditation group for recovery homes and Washington was not part of the mix. You know, it was just starting to sweep the country. Mm -hmm. So we got together with a couple more friends and we said, let's make Washington a state that requires accreditation standards. To receive government funding. And so we did that. And if you look at the bottom of our website, you'll see a picture of us with Governor Inslee. And in that legislation that he signed in 2018, it basically was stating three things. One, there would be a fund to improve recovery homes. Two, only certified recovery homes could get state funds by the year 2023. And three, there would be a rotating loan fund. Well, recent, at, I'm on the state board for the Washington Association of Quality Recovery Residences. We just had more legislation passed because there's up to $70,000 in grants for new recovery homes just to start one. And if you'll do a family at home, $150,000 grant. So that was just signed and that starts next year. So we've gone from being the people who said, we can do better to telling the state of Washington, you need to do better. Yeah. And so the pivot is to how we became an entrepreneur is, you know, we W2 people, we've gone to college forever, but we realized not only was there money to be made in real estate, we were changing people's lives. Yeah. And it was easy, you know, because we wrote the roadmap for people to live in our homes. And, we, you know, we loved what we were doing. And we said in 2018, we need to teach other real estate investors how to do it. Yeah. And so that's how Shared Housing Academy was born. Wow. So it, can you tell me a little bit more about Sheer Housing Academy? Kind of like, does it kind of provide education for others to kind of do the same? Um, and uh, I'll let you. Okay, now that is the goal. We've been working with a gentleman named Gene Guarino, who is like the national expert on adult family homes. And he had a vision similar to ours. He wanted to end, you know, any type of mistreatment of the elderly in adult family homes. So he created an amazing model and an educational forum. And we've known him for years. And he said, guys, you know, you guys are doing so much with what you're doing. Why don't you join with me and we'll set up shared housing academy so you can teach. And we've been teaching for years independently. 
and we wrote a curriculum. And basically what we teach for real estate investors, how to identify the right house. We want one that's appreciating. How to make that connection with the people who provide funding. How to understand how fair housing laws protect you as an investor if you're working in the recovery field. Because even in Washington State, there's actually a statute that says if you have a nonprofit organization and you have a recovery resident, you're not saddled if somebody's breaking the rules. Mm -hmm. So those eviction moratoriums that have terrified all of us just don't exist in our field. The other things that we teach are those national accreditation standards because that is sweeping the nation. Um, You know, how to find the ideal resident you know, how to, we've got, wrote a roadmap for people to live in harmony together. You know, being from Seattle and doing yoga, our second rule was we got to live in Zen and harmony. Mm-hmm. And we always laugh because Frank and I have tried to explain what Zen is to guys who are six foot eight with tattoos everywhere. <laughs> and they go, we get it, we get it, we want to live in Zen, you yeah. know? So right now today, we, we've morphed into the fact that we're serving more, there's more men who have housing insecurity. In fact, there's 70 million people in the United States right now with housing insecurity issues. And that doesn't mean they're homeless. That means they're on that bubble, that one paycheck away from, you know, being right. in real housing trouble. Which there is and, a lot of people like right uh, around post-pandemic and, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The pandemic has been a train wreck for so many people. And, you know, our business actually doubled during the pandemic because we started, um, housing for King County Drug Court. And Frank and I, you want to talk about being entrepreneurs. I don't know if you've ever been there, but the courthouse doors are really big. We made a little PowerPoint brochure. We printed off our printer and we went and knocked on the courthouse doors. (laughs) And we said, we think you should put your people to house with us because we've been housing people who've been incarcerated for drug crimes for, at that point, three years. And we don't want them going to prison. They want them to come to our home. And we met with them. It took about six months to get a contract. And that contract doubled and doubled and doubled again. And so now we're working hand in hand with the judges. And people come to us for up to two years at a time. And when they're done with their program and all that counseling, they get their records expunged. So they're free. And we're keeping people out of prison that way. That's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, you mentioned about the kind of the relapse rate and et cetera. You mentioned um, that among the houses that you have provided for the woman, uh, basically there's zero relapse. Like what are the yeah. secret like uh, you can share with us over there, like at your housing that you're providing that really kind of helped, um, you know, some, some folks to really get out that. Well, let me clarify. I can't say zero relapse, um, but but our program is much different. Uh, with many homes, one relapse and you're out, and you lost you know you lost everything except for the valuables that they don't put out on the street. But our program is CCO, your probation officer, your counselor, your counselor, okay, and come up with a treatment plan. Yeah. And once you can come back into the house with a clean, you know, your analysis. Your analysis your shoes are still going to be there. Your phone is still going to be there. And some of our greatest successes, because our houses are so beautiful. I love the reaction on some of these people. They walk in our house. Oh my God, it's a beautiful house. I can't believe I'm living here. Safe neighborhood. Neighbors wave to us. But I really feel like some of them feel like I might as well go ahead and fail now because this is just too good for me. You know, right. my, my, my self-esteem. And some of them relapse early. But you know what? After they realize that's not the end of the road for them. We, we pick them up. We get them back. And all of a sudden their confidence starts coming up. 
And it takes about four to six months. And if you live, if you have a job and you're living in this beautiful home, this safe home, you know, outside your door and four to six months, you feel middle-class, you act middle-class, you're treated like middle-class, guess what? Mm-hmm. They almost never go back. And what we find too is people who have been incarcerated for a drug-related offense. And basically a lot of times as they wrote a bad check while they were under the influence. While they're incarcerated, they're in therapy. And so those people virtually never relapse. And then we've been taking the harder cases during the pandemic. We've been taking people who have just given up drug addiction the day before. So, you know, we feel confident that we can deal with that. And our success rate, even with those people, is phenomenal because they're all on medication. So there's two main drugs that people use. Uh, One of them is methadone. And we have some folks who come to us on methadone. And others are on a drug called Suboxone. And Suboxone basically is kind of takes away all the cravings. And so they don't want to use anymore. Mm-hmm. The third thing we did back in way back six years ago is Kate was often told she couldn't be on her antidepressants in a typical recovery home. They don't allow you to be on your mental health drugs. So we took all comers and said, whatever you're on, your antidepressants, your bipolar disorder drugs, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it takes to make you feel good. You may stay on that. Now, we don't administer any medication. Nobody does. We allow adults to be adults and, you know, manage their own medication. One thing, you know, people ask us, well, how do you handle this? Well, we're handling it right now from 3,000 miles away. And that was the only good thing we took out of corporate America was learning how to empower people to manage the house. Right. You know, so, you know, and what we found along the way from day one, somebody always comes forward and says, I want to lead the house. I want to be the house manager. Right. And we would give them a little bit of a break on their, their monthly room fee. Right. And they'd be happy to manage their fellow peers. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Because they kind of understand each other. Now, let's kind of talk about a little bit about the investment side of the things. Yes. Uh, like, sure. <laughs> when you invest in these things, because often people were like, you know, I even had this set to me by partners and et cetera. They, I, I sometimes paint a vision for them and they will say, well, that costs money. I don't know if investor wants to invest in that, but it's really, when you look at it, some of these plans are just making connections, resources, setting up the room. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really cost a lot of money, but then on the net effect is it's actually, there's a lot of profit back to that like yes. re- increase their tenant retentions or, you know, reduce the vacancies and all that stuff is essentially setting up a, a uh, how do they say it? Like a creating a whole new green field for yourself. Um, so can you kind of tell us a little bit about how the investment side, how that makes sense? I think you allude to a little bit of that mm-hmm. before. Yeah. So, so we started with using our own 401k funds. We had a little bit, we laid off, kind of had access to it for a down payment. Um, but we knew because the homes, the first two homes we bought were basically foreclosure. So you can't get a bank loan. And so we started calling all the private money guys in Seattle and some went, click, <laughs> you, know, you, you guys have never remodeled a house. You're a patent counsel and he's um, in marketing and you want to be real estate investors. Did you see that on YouTube? You yeah. know, <laughs> and then we came across a guy and he liked our, our tenacity And he said, you know, I've got a woman doing student housing in Medina and she's killing it. She's got nine people in the house and she's charging a thousand dollars a person. He goes, is it the same concept? And we said, yes. Uh, 
he made sure we got the loan. I think our first one was like 9% and three points. Yeah. And, you know, then we needed money again two months later when a foreclosure fell in our lap and he got us that one. So now less points, less interest. Yeah. And then four months later, and so we're, we're buying a 16, you know, it was a superheated market. So you had to have private money. You had to close fast. Right. And we came up with a third loan that we needed in six months. And he said, our partners aren't going to go for that. Mm-hmm. And not only that, we had convinced the owner to finance a whole down payment. So we were going to come in with nothing, you yeah. know, beautiful home. We needed $350,000. She was going to come up with a hundred and you know, 150. And I was like, oh, we're in. And he yeah. goes, it doesn't work that way. You guys have to put some money in. <laughs> and he said, but if you can get 10% together, which we did right. on credit cards, he found a new lender for us. And the guy, he found us, both of them work with us today, six years later. So we always encourage people, cold call those private money guys. Right. And the guy he found for us has grown phenomenally. And he loves what we do. In fact, when I needed and I do all the finance because that's just the way my brain is wired. Thank goodness. Yeah, he, he's, he's my, the real estate guy with the hammer. Um, but when I needed money for this house in Florida, again, super heated market. I called my $2 billion guy and said, hey, I'm going up against multi-offers. Can you write a letter that you'll close me in 48 hours? And they said, absolutely, because we've done so much business with them. Right. And it was really interesting because now we were on the phone with him and I said, I've got three or four other houses I'm interested in getting. And I said, what kind of terms do you have? He goes, how about 10% down and a 5% interest rate? Nice. So yeah, seriously. And so, you know, and he loves what we do. He knows what we do. He thinks what we do is just cool. Yeah. And he says, San Francisco. I mean, (laughs) you know, so you just don't know who is going to be your backers. We are so backed financially. We can buy anything at any time in any way we want, but we started as two knock need middle-aged adults without a lot of money, no jobs, no real estate experience, but just a desire to use housing to make a difference. Yeah. And then the tenacity of finding out how and not being uh, turned away from the first guy who says no. Yeah. Oh, and you know, what's so funny. I love this because they're, they're pretty major, you know, like they're huge. And once we had a couple million dollars of real estate, we actually had a million dollar condo in San Diego because we were doing short-term rentals. I called them back thinking, hey, we got a lot of equity because we're only 50% leveraged. We have all this real estate. They still said no. no. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, fine, it's your loss. Yeah, exactly. Because I think it's uh, it's unconventional, you know, and then... Uh... And and then also along the way, like if people help you doing that, it, it, it's a great business for them as well. Yeah. yeah. We, we always make our loan payments. In fact, the, the gentleman we met in 2016 has personally lent us his personal money mm-hmm. when we needed to close the deal. When you have and a longer eventually. radio show, we can tell yeah, you that amazing story. But so the point is, it, you know, there's three things you need in this business. Know where to place your house. Yeah. Know how you're going to pay for it. How are you going to fill it? And how you're going to fill it. And, you know, state of Washington, actually, most of these states, there is so much money. And United Way is giving money to local helplines and they help pay room fees. But what we found our people, once they're off any type of state assistance, pay their own room fee. They never miss. 
Right. And they often say, oh, Frank, we got off probation or I graduated from drug court. Now do I have to move out of the house? And Sherry and I look at you and say, wait a minute, you've been a fantastic resident for two years. You've been <laughs> on self-pay, never missed a payment. Why would we want you to move? You're paying our mortgage. Right. We're just going to go buy another house. And right. that's basically it. Because what we like to say is we want to be able to buy beautiful homes and safe neighborhoods with curbside appeal. That's what we want in our portfolio. Right. <clears throat> but we don't want to rent to a husband, wife, two kids, and a dog. Why? No cash flow. Right. But- as an exit strategy, we keep those houses immaculate. Those people are so grateful to live there. You'd be shocked. We've had people, we've had senators and congresspersons of staff come to our home. Oh, yeah. So our, our, our backup strategy is if we had to, and I am a real estate broker too, we could sell the house tomorrow. So really the risk is low. And we know that anytime we open up a house, we'll have it filled right away. Right? And that's the thing. The neighbors do end up caring, caring about you. Fair housing rules do protect you in the neighborhood. They are self-managed if you have the right roadmap and you own the real estate. And I think the satisfaction of seeing human beings, like, you know, I think it was in the fall, we had like three 75 year old Vietnam vets who had nowhere to go. You know, just some of the people who have served our country and trying to make it on SSI and can't live with us. So the shared housing model isn't just for the justice involved. We've got, a house full of older women who can't live in it. They like living together. They make dinner together. Oh yeah. You know, it, just yeah. Love living together. Yes. I have uh, tenants like that. They ended up being the best friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, Seattle is a great place to do this in because, you know, some, especially King County, there's so many areas where zoning just is very friendly, but also we have helped students start homes in many States throughout the country. And, you know, in fact, we have one student who opened up a home for LGBTQ youth, 18 to 21, because he had been thrown out of his house when he was in high school by his parent for that reason. And so he's doing shared housing, you know, and he's serving those kids. Yeah, that's the beautiful thing about the shared housing model. Find your passion. Is it maybe adult Down syndrome, uh, children, uh, autism? Uh, golden people not ready for the old, old folks home. I mean, what is your passion? Stri- strictly veterans. So that's the beautiful thing about our model. And, and we just love our residents. They're, they're actually fantastic people. And, and we've been teaching it now since 2018. So we spend a lot of time, you know, making sure we're following where the money is going, what the stats are, right. what the regulations are. And in the beginning, there was no... Washington Association of Quality Recovery Residences, we made that. But since we started with that, all over the country, the federal government's requiring that that national accreditation to protect people. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. That's amazing because you're like literally changing the standard of housing for like the whole nation over here. That's what we chose to do originally. We said, you know, we can either get 15 houses like this or we could change the way people think about recovery residences. And the whole thing was no more disposable people. Yeah. Because that's what happened to Kate. She would not have relapsed and gone homeless for eight years if people had allowed her to stay in their homes. Yeah, yeah. Because people make a mistake, especially people who are dependent on a drug. And, um, you know, I've had someone kind of come in and speak about homeless shelter that was provided by the government before. And they literally said that, that, hey, like... The, the, the long term, you know, in between houses are about six weeks. And you're like, six weeks? Like, 
nobody can like even find a job sometimes no. in you know six weeks or six months even like and the, that that help kind of runs out um and then all it does is kind of provided a very short-term solution not really a solution at all yeah and one thing i would you know mention to all your listeners frank and i even though we're married we are definitely a business partnership yeah you know we have different roles i do the finance mortgage you know legal stuff um he's you know identifying the properties fixing him up he's a real estate broker you know frank is with best choice realty and they had to, early on, Rochelle Wilhite, who started Best Choice, mm-hmm. when she hired Frank, knew exactly what he was doing, that he was not going to be listing homes, yeah. that he was going to be buying homes to start this foundation. Mm-hmm. And she has supported us every step of the way to the point of, this is something you, your uh, listeners may want to know, yeah. is yeah. that real estate commission can be a tax deduction. And when we recently sold our own home, we let Rochelle list it and she's rebating back the commission as an investment in Kate's House Foundation. So there's, we have a nonprofit foundation, but our real estate, I want to clarify, is for profit. Yeah. You know, it's just a relationship between the nonprofit for profit. And we teach that also at Shared Housing Academy. You know, it's basically a technical nuts and bolts class for the real estate investor who wants to think about a different way of housing. Yeah. And so what is here from here on five years from here or like 10 years from here, like the large goal, what is your next goal? Um, It goes back to 2016. Frank said, what are we going to do with this? We have three houses and 18 women. And I remember looking at him and I said, I think we need to end homelessness in America. And he goes, well, that's a lofty goal. And I, I know, but he's, he's great. We wrote it down. And then we realized two years later to do that, we couldn't do it personally, but we could get an army of people who had a heart, but knowledge about real estate, who wanted to learn the nuts and bolts of how to do that. Who could help us? Let, let me share something. So we, we're on a stage in Las Vegas, 500 investors learning how to buy real estate. You know, some of them learn how to climb a tree and say, I buy other people go to the county to find out who died so they can, we do it differently. We, our cash flow is so fantastic. We just look for the house that we want and we take it. Um, but <clears throat> where was I going with that? You're with that 500 investors. Oh yeah, so here we are in Las Vegas on a quite a large stage. And we're talking to these people who are learning how to buy real estate. But we stopped right in the middle of our speech and we said, wait a minute. How many people in this room have someone they love and care about who is struggling yeah. with addiction? Right. Guess what percentage of the people raise their hand? It's like 70%. Wow. So there's a 70% rule out there. 70% of the neighbors in the na- where we put our houses, they're yeah. empathetic to what we're doing. Yeah. But they love us because they want to help solve America's problems by accepting us. But they don't have the uh, consequence of one of those houses that we all know what we're talking about. You know, right. that, that kind of lost control. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's absolutely. And we, our goal right now, it was interesting <clears throat> because we... we we have been kind of putting that out to the universe every day for six years. And now we know we have spoken to more than a thousand students, you know, shared housing Academy is new, but it's a continuation of curriculum. We've been writing for years and people are starting houses all over America. But when we were in Florida and we've been here six weeks and we, you know, we still have our condo in downtown. So yeah. we consider ourselves Washingtonians, but we bought a house down here. 
And I was sitting at the table and I got a Facebook message from a woman who said, I met you nine years ago. I've been following Kate's House Foundation and I lead the uh, coalition to end homelessness in a county and here in Florida. And we want you to meet with our CEO and all our directors to put the Kate's House model down here. And we have investors. Nice. When I looked on the map, because we're new to Florida, she's 20 minutes away. So they've got the money. They don't, they just need the model. So, right. you know, the, and the main, our main model truly is, and the government agrees is accreditation of housing. And it's not, you know, I, I can't say it's not that hard. There's a lot of things to do, but if you do the package correctly, which is safe housing, you know, house rules that were a good neighbor policy and you know what you're doing, that accreditation is once you get the first one, it's easy to get the second, third, fourth. Yeah. And that's what in Florida, they require it in many states. Now, Washington doesn't require it yet. It will. But in Florida, you, you must be accredited to get any type of funding. There, much of the nation is already where we're, we brought Washington State. Got it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I'm so glad to have you two on the on the show today. And can you we usually end up our show with actually, let me just um ask you this first before I get to the last segment of our show. Um, can you tell us how to find more information about the share homes? And I believe that you're actually traveling to Washington, Seattle uh, soon, which a lot yes. of listeners are located. Um, can you tell us a little bit more like what's coming like very short term uh, in terms of how people find you uh, and contact you? Well, we're going to be uh, speaking to the REAPS group on the uh, next week or two weeks from now. I think it's the 24th. And so we're coming to speak to Seattle. But there's two ways to find us. Our website is Kate's, K-A-T-E-S, House, H-O-U-S-E, Foundation. F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N.org. And all it's educational, but there's also a link to Shared Housing Academy on the website. And then there's a separate website where you can sign up to take a class. And I've got one more to throw at you here. Yeah. And that's uh, sharedhousingacademy.com. Mm-hmm. But the third one, and the one I'm really excited about, is on June 19th, Anderson Advisors in Las Vegas. Yes, has invited us to be the keynote speakers in the all-day symposium they're having on how to set up a nonprofit. And we're going to talk about, you know, what we've done in the world of accreditation and our housing. Yeah, But they're going to piggyback in on how you can use a nonprofit as a real estate investor profitably. And even if you don't want to start a home, how you can invest and be a passive investor. So it's going to be phenomenal. So that's Anderson Advisors. And they've got a link in there to the Shared Housing Seminar. That's awesome. So we'll put all that in the show notes. Our editor will put that in there. Thank you. Okay. And uh, and, uh, so folks can kind of connect with you. And I I know, like, I'll probably try to look up for that Reeves event and try to meet you guys in person. Oh, I would love it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I want to meet you. I mean, we're... And we'd love to give you a tour of the homes. Perhaps to our homes. Well, I'm thinking with her apartments, you know, because one of the biggest issues we have is our people can never get into apartments after they leave us, you know, because their credit scores are low 
and sometimes their criminal background, even if it was years even ago. Even if they're the most outstanding resident for three years in our homes, they're just wonderful, wonderful people. It just, the stigma stays with them and it's so difficult. You yeah. know, so our next goal is to get an apartment building. I just told Frank last yeah. week, I, I said, we need an apartment building in Seattle so we can house our people there. That's awesome. That's awesome. And maybe we have connections. That's awesome. I hope so. <laughs> this is why these episodes are super awesome. This is why I do the podcast because I meet fantastic people like Frank and Sherry. Um, and so um, our last segment of the sec- uh, session over here, I love to kind of like ask this question. And for you guys, I'm going to change this uh, question a little bit differently. We often ask people who comes on that show who has kids. How are they educating their kids in terms of financial freedom? But I, I wanted to kind of ask you about how Kate's doing um, and how are you kind of like uh, educating her and her siblings um, on uh, being a better investor, but being a better social entrepreneurs? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because Kate is about probably 15 years younger than my son who is actually in Amsterdam and he oversees a software company in Silicon Valley. But he looked at what Frank and I did and he's living in Amsterdam. He just bought an Airbnb in France. So he kind of followed along the line. He's he's well paid, but he said, yeah, real estate's where it's at. Uh, You know, Kate's doing good. She's clean and sober. She's married and has a baby. But, you know, I would say eight years of the struggle did take a toll from her original life plan, which was to be a violinist at Juilliard. So that didn't happen. And, you know, when I think of the lost potential for all these human beings that we house, you know, it was the loss of housing that set back a lifetime of dreams. And, you know, you ask about kids, we actually have custody of a three-year-old and a five-year-old. And the five-year-old has actually gone to all the Kate's houses with us, even though people are just as involved and in recovery since the minute he was born. And he loves the houses and they love him. And he knows the people's names. And it's real cute to see him. He was four and he was on Redfin. And he announced, he goes, Grandma, this looks like a really good house for a Kate's house. So (laughs) we're bringing him up in the business. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's so fantastic. Well, oftentimes we have a lot of good investors that comes and talk about their journey. Like this is so far my favorite, uh, you know, episode here, oh. really, because that's really connecting the hearts and the head together, and also the money. Like in terms of <laughs> investing and making huge returns, and I think that's the point of not everything has to be nonprofit in this world. Not everything has to be just philanthropist, but there's there's also money to be made in this area, which I think uh, incentivize more investors to kind of get involved in the sector. Yeah. And, and that's what we teach. We want to demystify people that you don't look like you, that you don't know, but yeah. also just the fear factor. If we do this, what will, will the neighbors think? They're going to love you and yeah. you're going to make yeah. a lot of money. So, you know, it's a win-win-win. I think when you do good, you do well. Yeah. We call it invest, get the return, but serve. Yeah, definitely. Follow your heart. Thank you so much, Frank and Sherry. So great to have you on our show today. And uh, I'll ask our listeners to definitely rate us on the podcast, to definitely like show up to check out Frank and Sherry's um, organizations um, and, uh, you know, get involved. Thank you for listening to 10,000 Roads to Financial Independence. This can be you. What if today was the day you started the countdown clock to your financial independence? 
Join many others like you at www.easyfiuniversity.com to get started.